You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 195 of the Sprues and Brews podcast. My name is David. I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. And Jay. Hello. And he's only gone and get himself got himself stuck in work again, hasn't he? I tell you what, that guy, he must he, he'll be, be minted by the end of the month, the amount of time he's missing on podcasts. All of the Warhammer money. <laughs> um, on this week's show, um, well, the main segment this week, we're talking about a tournament that both of you gentlemen happened to attend this last weekend. That's right. Yeah, the Horus Heresy second edition tournament at Warhammer World. It was amazing but yeah we'll talk about it in the main section of the show thanks excellent excellent to think as well you, you've gone to the first tournament of the new edition as well you're like that's cool that's memorable um so i was looking... i was player number one as well dave were you tournament of the second year look at that not, not that, that it, it didn't it didn't uh think you through to the results though <laughs> doesn't matter doesn't matter i think i think being player number one uh is more than a victory um I think you should put that on your mantelpiece. Yeah, it, it yeah. peaked there. To be fair, at registration, that was that was the highest I got. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, Matt and Jay are going to take us through how they got on, talk about the battle plans, talk about their armies. Um, I'm personally really looking forward to it because I've not really had a chance to speak to either of you about the weekend yet. Uh, we are also going to be switching our focus to um, the Mortal Realms for our top three because we're going to be discussing our top three warbands we'd like to see. For Warcry, this is, of course, because we've got the Heart of Gur um, on the horizon. That's its proper title, isn't it, Matt? It is, yeah, Heart of Gur. Yeah, yeah. Glad, glad I got that right. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're going to be chatting about that a little bit later on uh, as well. We've got some community top three picks to read out, uh, and we've also got all of the latest news. But before we get stuck into all of that, let's talk about what we've been doing <gasps> in the hobby this Dave, week. Dave, 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 for the last four weeks, I've not been able to talk about what I'm painting. Can we start on me? We can start on you, Matt. Go go for Amazing. it. Amazing. So, yeah, unfortunately, I've had to be very quiet on what I've been painting the last few weeks, but it's been some cool stuff. So I have painted up the Dark Commune. They look amazing. There's, like, a weird uh, priestess who's got, like, a walking stick and a tentacle for an arm, and then there's a dude who's carrying a disembodied psyker's head on a stick. <laughs> He's really cool. And then there's a banner bearer with a pistol. Yeah, and Nazgul for some reason. Yeah, they're amazing. I really enjoy painting these, and I really want to do, like, a kind of Lost in the Damned uh, Corpse and Militia force for Horus Heresy, using these as the various uh, character models you can take. Yeah, and they look really cool, Matt. You've done a really good job on these as well. Cheers! They were, they were really, really fun to paint up because um, it's like a bit. Um, in the review, I mentioned they're a bit like the Gobblepalooza in that it's a kit made up of like characters, basically. Mm. Now, in the game, they're just one profile, but uh, yeah, they're so cool. Uh, and alongside these, I painted the new Chaos Cultists as well. So these, I had mixed feelings when I first saw them because they don't have any special weapons. But once I built them up and painted them, they are really cool. Each model is a unique like pose and sculpt and. I think these will be amazing for Necromunda as well. Yeah, I think they would suit Necromunda quite well. Yeah, I mean, you can you can, you can take a Chaos Cultist war, but, uh, gang in Necromunda, so they absolutely would fit for that. But they work for, like, hangers-on and uh, kind of hive scum and stuff as well. So they're pretty cool. Um, I painted up Malagurst. 
and some veterans for my Horus Heresy army. Um, I was originally going to bring the Emperor's Children, hoping that something else was going to come in time for me to paint it. Alas, it did not. So I had to make the decision, no, crack ahead, we'll finish the Sons of Horus and they'll go. And I'm glad I did, because we'll see later on. We got to have some Primark on Primark action. So that was pretty fun. And also, I... um. Games which were you know, kind of send us a new plastic Leviathan with close combat weapons. So I built that up and I've started painting it in World Eater colours, Dave. World Eater colours? World Eater colours. Well, I thought it's a massive dreadnought with massive fists that just wants to punch things to death. What, 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 what legion would that fit the best? And I thought, you know what? My boys, the World Eaters. Um, because... I've had, I don't know if I've spoken to you recently, I don't think I have. I've, I've had a bit of a hankering to put together a World Eaters force. I've got some um, Mark VI Marines with chain bayonets and and some Predators. And the predator, the uh, right of war for the World Eaters allows you to take Predators as fast attack, which means you can fit even more punchy dreadnoughts into the army. So, uh, yeah, I may be painting a World Eaters heresy army. I knew this was on the cards because I think the last time we went to Warhammer World that you were you attempted to, to to pick up some world eaters. So this hasn't taken me completely by surprise. I was expecting it to happen soon. Maybe not this soon, but soon nonetheless. Yeah, it's really fun. The kit's beautiful, and um, it's, it's been quick, pretty quick to paint up so far. I've kind of blocked in the the blue. The white's easy enough to do. Do all the silver, and then I want to weather the hell out of it splatter it with blood it's going to be the grimiest looking thing you've ever seen <laughs> i am really looking forward to, to picking one up i mean i think the first one i get actually will i'll probably wait until the shooty variants out and then pick up the close combat sprue and have um a shooty arm and a combat arm and that'll probably go into my um dark angels for heresy so mm-hmm. i'm in no rush for that really because i've got so much um heresy stuff to to build and paint um, but I've got several other things sort of delaying me at the moment from getting really stuck into that. Uh, in fact, let's let's go on to me um, next. What what have I been doing this last week? The main thing I've been doing is um, continuing painting my Screaming Bell. It is taking me a, t- a tiny bit longer than I anticipated, but I wanted to take a little bit of extra time on it because um, it's a real centerpiece of a Skaven army. Um you know, my clan rats and things like that. They're not going to take anywhere near as long as this has. Um, but the actual bell itself um, is uh, done. Um, what I need to do next is I've started on the rat ogre. Um, so he'll be done potentially tonight. Um, and then Ooh. I'm going to be doing the grey seer probably tomorrow. Um, and then I can glue it all together then. And it, it is, he's ready to rock and roll. Um, not that he'll be in my starting path to glory. So I think we start at 600 points, don't we? Um, that'll just be the humble yeah, grace if you're here on Yeah, if you're playing games on the Friday, you start off at 600 points. If you start games on the Saturday, it's 1,000 points. Oh, is it? Okay. I might, I might, I'm might. i still going to start the Saturday, because, of course, just, just for clarity, we're, we're talking about um, the Path to Glory tournament that we're attending in October. Um, I'm probably going to start that 1,000 points with my grace here on foot, and then in the, in the bigger games, he'll then um, jump on top of his bell. Um, and hopefully summon a vermin lord at some point. Yeah, it's, it's quite nice. You start off, so they've also got some games on the Friday, which is like an introduction where you kind of think the um, kind of pre-credit scene in the James Bond film set in the 
15. That's on the Friday, and they're at 600 points. And then throughout the weekend, it starts at 1,000 points, goes up to 1,500 points, and then culminating in some 2,000-point battles. And I'm really excited. I've got some cool stuff planned. Uh, in fact, I bought a Morngull while I was in um, Warhammer World because oh. that is going to be the um, evolved version of my uh, my general. So we're going to have a play with that and see how how that works but yeah i'm really excited to do i think i think we'll probably do a, a bit of a video series maybe dave on on our progress as the army gets closer we've got three yeah. months on saturday i believe to get <laughs> these armies done so that sounds like you know two or three episodes of a series to me absolutely uh, and it sounds like quite a way off but when you've got like 20 40 43 a lot of rats to paint um the three months isn't a, 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 an awfully long time but um i've got it all mapped out it's all fine i'm not panicking it's all good <laughs> so um that's primarily uh what i've been painting this week i have also been painting you, you've had four weeks worth of secrecy i've been painting something else for a couple of weeks very slowly that i can't talk about but i've been carrying on with that that's super close to being finished um i will be able to talk about that soon but yeah it's cool it's cool that's all you need to know right now it's cool um and what else i've been doing in the hobby i've um i've been continuing last week i mentioned that i'm i'm building a kind of narrative for a crusade campaign that we're hoping to start running from november um i had a bit of a weak moment this week where because i'm painting so much scaven at the moment i've really got my heart set on doing sisters for crusade but with the amount of rats and stuff i'm painting i'm like the sisters are kind of the sisters list i want to run has quite a few ladies in it and i was thinking you know do i want to jump straight off the back of painting a load of rats to paint a load of sisters so i did have a little bit of a weak moment the last couple of nights um, and i have actually built um i can't remember his name he's the gray knight character that came in one of the triumvirate boxes Oh, um, Valdus or something. Valdus, like yeah. I built him last night just on a on a whim um, and, night, and sprayed him. I yeah. To be honest, I, I think I'm still gonna go for my sisters, but there is just this niggling. Knights maybe cool. maybe I should go. I've got a cool crusade as well, mechanic. They have. Yeah, they they'd be a really good reason for me to get a uh, great demon as well. And you know. A great speaking of demons, I think I'll be playing demons in this crusade. So I don't know, all the stars seem like they're aligning to me, Dave. Yeah, so we'll see. Um because I did I did really want to do sisters, but I just I don't know if I, I want to paint a a smaller army um and then, you know, move on to my sister. So we'll see. I've got loads of time. I mean I've I've got you know, Horace Heresy stuff to paint, I've got my scaven to do, so um there's there's lots to do before I can really get stuck into all of that. So um that's about it, I think, for me, for for hobby. Um so that just leaves you, Jane. What have you been up to? Well, looking to my right, which is sort of me hobby desk, and it is a complete it's upside down. And this was because <laughs> there was like frantic I say frantic actually, it wasn't too bad finishing off of the Imperial Fists before our um, Horus Heresy event at the weekend. Um, so, yeah, so I can't remember what we said at the last project update, but I think I was still working. I still had a few finishing touches to do, sort of pilots of the javelins and the bases and things like that. So the Imperial Fists were finished. Uh, since we've come back from um, Wuhan World at the weekend this week, um, I've been working on my next project, which is going to be a Legio Custodes army. Um, mm. So we're back at Warhammer World in November for the next Horus Heresy tournament. 
Um, yeah, <laughs> and I'm hoping I'm hoping to be able to take. Obviously, there's no rules yet for the Legio Custodes, but um, I'm an optimist, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start building and painting a Legio Custodes army now in the hope that we get some rules and I can take them to the tournament in November. Um, so whilst we were in Warhammer World, I picked up I have a, a quite a large um, Adeptus Custodes army with some for Horus uh, Heresy 30k units in there as well, some of the dreadnoughts and things. But it's a quite a quite a bright, clean, prim and proper looking custodies army. Um and I had real fun with my Imperial Fist, sort of putting battle damage on them, splashing mud up them, scraping all the their plating and things like that to make a sort of more sort of gritty, grim dark type um Horus Heresy army. And I want to try something similar with the Legio Custodes as well. So while we're in Warhammer World, I picked up a um Caladius Grav tank um and a unit of Aquilan custodies terminators um and they've been sort of scrubbed and soaked and cleaned up and ready for assembly now on the desk behind me um so i'm hoping to um to, to get some paint on that and try 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 a new scheme with these guys and if it goes well if it's successful because it's just a trial at this point then uh, i'll start then building up my, a new collection of uh, legio custodies models and, and and see if i can get them ready for november um i, ha- I had a feeling you might do something because when we went to the doubles tournament what was that two months ago um, we played a custodian player, yes. uh, and you were very keen on. He had quite a grimy, it was dark, like an antique-looking gold. Yes. Yeah, so very nice. um, I could see your eyes light up when you saw that, and I thought, hmm, we could see a new custodian army from Jay. So, uh, yeah, that's that's very cool. And I mean, to be fair, I, I don't. Uh, the the custodians are a small army, and I'm thinking I will add some Sisters of Silence as well. Um, I mean, I've painted up the Valdor model. But I, and I really like the, the the paint job I've done on the Valdor model. But obviously, if if my new sort of wing of custodians are a bit more dark, a bit more battle damaged and worn, I may need to pick up a new Valdor model to paint up as well in this style, which I don't mind because I had great fun painting them and and the custodians they're, they're really nice kits. So yeah. we'll see, we'll see. We'll come back in a couple of weeks once I've had an experiment with this grav tank and we'll see how we get on. Cool, 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 cool. Um, yeah, it's it, it, it's going to feel weird, weird uh, the next couple of weeks, Jay, because I know our hobby updates. It's been basically you painting Imperial Fists. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be exciting to see what else you're painting now that they are out of the way. Yeah. Well, I've got I've got to um, I've got to think about my Path to Glory army for um, October as well, and what what models I'm going to start building and painting for them. Um, and then obviously we've got the 40k crusade that you're um, that you're planning, Dave, as well. So it's a 40k army for the crusade. Um, but I had I had so much fun playing Horus Heresy at the weekend against five different opponents, and it it they were such great games. I'm really sort of um, excited about the Horus Heresy at the moment. So I, I really want to get cracking painting some more Horus Heresy. To be fair, and that's that's really the most important thing, isn't it? If if you feel that you really want to paint something, don't, don't force yourself to paint something else. Unless yeah. you've maybe got a deadline, I suppose. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, just go where your heart takes you, really, when it comes to painting, because it'll then be reflected in your painting, I guess. As a moving, as a moving moment, Dave. It I is. really want to paint Commander. I just haven't had a chance to paint him yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as soon as all the stuff on my desk is painted, and possibly things underneath my desk, once that's all done, in about two weeks' time, I'm going to stop Commander, because like, we move to about this more in the main section, but likewise, I'm thinking demons for November. Excellent, excellent stuff. Uh, right, I think that brings uh, this opening section of the podcast 
to a close. We've got plenty to talk about, including more Horace Heresy uh, chatter. Um, but before we get stuck into all of that, we're going to move on to the news. So we'll be right back. So what do we have in this week's news, Matt? Well, we've just got one pre-order this week, but it's a biggie. Warcry Heart of Gur. The new edition of Warcry. Uh, what you'd expect. Big old box, chock full of scenery with two uh, warbands in there. The Rockmire Creed and the Horns of Shut fighting over some really cool Gur-themed scenery with some gribbly-looking trees and bones and stuff. Uh, that is clocking in at £140, which I feel is a tad higher than the previous one, um, but you do get a lot of scenery in there. Now, it does mention that this is a limited release, and then once this is sold out, the scenery, the warbands, and the rules will all be available separately. But I would put money on those separate components costing more than the contents of this box so obviously if you want both in the scenery i'd pick this up if you only maybe after one of the war bands then maybe hold five for the new book and and the war band i mean i'm a sucker for scenery so i'll be picking it up just for this because it looks really really nice um what are your guys thoughts on this obviously Warcom have shared a few articles now and the miniatures are gorgeous um do any of these appeal to you guys i personally um I have I've been having a close look at both of the warbands and actually I think I prefer one of the older ones. Um I do really like the scenery. If I got this box it would be for the scenery, but I think I'm gonna pass on the warbands personally. Yeah, yeah. the scenery's ace. I like the Nurgle looking swampy warbands. They're pretty cool, but uh not cool enough for me to pledge my allegiance to the Dark Gods. Well, hopefully. Now, one thing that Warcom have mentioned is that this is going to have the release uh, pattern of Kill Team, where every quarter we'll get a big box of scenery and two new warbands, which hopefully are non-chaos-aligned warbands. I think that would draw a lot of people into the game, and that's really the topic of our top three later, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Um, but if they keep expanding the scenery, I think this would go really well with the Thondian strongpoint scenery, and yeah. you'll be able to have a whole theme themed board. So I'm looking forward to checking that out. So that's pretty cool. Now, if you want to see uh, one of the um, Rock My Creed in um, closer kind of viewing, um, the miniature of the month um, promotion from Games Workshop from this month is changing. So previously, you rocked up to store and you generally got a model out of an older kit. They're mixing that round this month from the 13th of August. Everyone who goes into a Warhammer store uh, can ask for the miniature of the month. And this month it is a member of the Rockmire Creed. So new models. So it's really, really cool. Uh, and this yeah. is what they're going to do every month going forward. So like when the Leagues of OTAN are on pre-order, you can go into the store and get a free League of OTAN. I think that's a really, really good idea to get people hyped up for new releases. Yeah, absolutely. I, li- I like this change. So, so yeah, so and for Warcry players, obviously, as well, um, never harms having more gangers to fill out, you know, the odd point in your warband. So, yeah, that is definitely worth doing. Now, for Middle-Earth fans, you'll know that there's often a rotation in miniatures that um, kind of leave and join the range because they've got such a massive range now, they can't possibly have everything in stock in one go. So on the 11th of September, um, quite a few kits are going. Faramir... The Rangers of the North, the Junidane, the Laws of the Junidane, the Blackguard of Bardur, Gothmog, Thorin Oakenshield and Azog, and Girion, Lord of Dale. 
are leaving the range. So if you want any of them, you've got till the 11th of September to pick them up. Uh, and replacing them are an assortment of models that are rotating back into the range. So the Black Root Veil Commanders for the Gondor Army, uh, Mounted Boromir, which is a nice model, Elendil and Isilda, the Haradrim King, the Mahud King, including him mounted on his camel, the Mahud Riders, uh, ri- Raiders, sorry, who are riding camels, which is amazing, and the Mahud Warrior Warband. Now, I, for a long time, was super hyped to do a Far Harad Force, and when I got around to doing it, they all rotated out of the range. So <laughs> I'm absolutely going to be picking up a few boxes of uh, all of these, really, because combined with my um, my my uh, Lord on Warmuck, uh, it should give me a nice uh, Far Harad Force. Um, now, I don't know if any of these are any of your guys' cup of tea. Elendil and Isildur are nice models mm. from the uh, original release of the game. Um, you're not a fan of Middle-earth, are you, Dave? No, I I never really got on with the scale, to be honest, Matt. Um, and with me being spread across quite a few systems at, at the moment, it's just, yeah, it's not been something I've allowed myself to get too involved in. But I have to admit, I do get temptations. Um I would still like at some point to paint the Fellowship at least. Um, but yeah, these releases really are skipping me by. Fair enough. How about you, Jay? Anything on here that's on your uh, must-have list? Um, not on my must-have. Um, I, I would. I, I quite like the Ellendale and the Sealdor models. Um, and I think a, a, a sort of um, an army from from that time period might be might be quite cool, um, like a Last Alliance. Um, I have got behind me. I've got two Lord of the Rings, well, three Lord of the Rings projects really that I want to get going again. I've got I've got the Iron Hills Dwarfs. I made a start on my Rivendell at the beginning of the year, and I also found dug out all my old metal um, Lothlorien elves as well. Nice. Um, but he's just trying to find time in the schedule to to fit them in. See, with the with the new Rings of Power TV series from Amazon, I do wonder. I do wonder if GW will have picked up the rights. Um, yeah, it's been a couple of years now since the uh, Battle of Pelennor Fields box. And imagine if they did a Second Age box. It'd be so cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Obviously, that's complete speculation. We know nothing. We're probably completely wrong, but it'd be cool, wouldn't it? It'd be <laughs> um, very cool. Now, you know what else is cool? A Blood Bowl player covered in frogs. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got Estelle Leveno, who is a star player for the Amazons. And, yeah... Looking at the, the, the write-up on Warcom, basically she's just a mad woman from the jungle who really likes frogs. Who doesn't uh, like frogs? Who doesn't like frogs? There's a lot of frogs that we've seen on various little miniatures recently, so I fully approve. And she's literally got frogs draped all over her. Um, and she's pretty cool. She's got an ability once per game. At the beginning of her activation, she can pick an opposition player. And on a 2+, they lose their, their tackle zones and can't be activated. Mm-hmm. So that is uh, it, really scary. Just make a big hole in your opponent's line and, and run you guys through. So I think the uh, the Amazons are going to be quite fun when they come out. And looks like, from the fact that we've seen a couple of star players now, it has the same release model as the um, Norse did, where all of the star players and the team and everything are released on the same day, which is a really, really good change, isn't it? You know, we're, t- we're talking about all these new things. You just asked me about Lord of the Rings, and I said there's so many other projects I've got going I really want to get my Norse completely finished so I can take them to the the, the Gridion as well. It's um the Gridion, the Gridiron. Gridiron. 
That's how much I know about um, American football and the like. Um, yeah, but the North are really, really cool. So yeah, I I love Blood Bowl. I really enjoy playing the painting up the uh, the star players for the North, and I don't know what team to paint up next. Maybe Corn, maybe Lizards, maybe Amazons. I don't know. Um, what I do know that I will be painting though is some upcoming releases for Necromunda. Uh, two hangers on for the Escher Gang. There's the Shiver who's kind of like a, a shaman who can see the future, which is pretty cool. Um, and she is accompanied by a clan chemist who the, the Escher produce most of the, the drugs on Necromunda. And uh, that's their jam, really. And the clan chemist is a specialist who can create various toxins and can poison the weapons of your uh, Escher gangers. Now, I'm thinking I've got I've got a... Um, a ridge hauler in box and I've got a assembled Escher gang. They'd probably add these two girls to it. And then, yeah, I might put together a little Escher force for maybe the next Necromunda campaign that we do. But yeah, these, these look really, really cool. All of the hangers on and um, kind of specialists and bounty hunters and stuff in Necromunda are just so cool and characterful models, aren't they? They are. They're, they're really, really good. So, yeah, so these will be, getting added to the collection now we have a little bit of exciting news on an event that's not happened in an age of the world golden demon we've not had a golden demon in the uk since before covid and it is coming back with a vengeance to warhammer world on the 29th of september to the 2nd of october uh this is this is pretty exciting and you know what i'm gonna give it a go guys i'm gonna give it a go so yeah. they've got a number of different categories here. Uh, Warhammer 40,000 single miniature, vehicle, squad, or large miniature. Warhammer Age of Sigmar single miniature, unit, or large miniature. Middle Earth, diorama, small scale, which covers Adeptus um, Aeronautica, Warmaster, and Battlefleet Gothic. Jewel. Mm. Uh, Young Bloods, and then the open competition, which you can do whatever you like, but that is the only category that Games Workshop staff are allowed to enter. Um, you buy a ticket for the Saturday or the Sunday. You rock down to game uh, to Warhammer World from the 29th of September, which I think is the Thursday. You can submit your entries, and then whole weekend of uh, Golden Demon Antics. It is £15 for a ticket. It's unclear if that gets you into both days or one day. I assume both days because they'll probably have the actual kind of um, uh, kind of drawing on the on the Sunday, mm. but then lots of antics on the Saturday. And in addition to this, they've got a new thing on, uh, which is known as the Hobby Pass. So this is a £30 upgrade for your ticket. And as part of that, you get a base, you get a free model, you get a free selection of brushes. You get to sit down over a day and you have the entire Citadel colour range of paints to use, and you have a massive mountain of sprues to use, and your challenge within that day is to build up a mini diorama on this base using, in some way, the free model that you've got, paint it up, and the best one will win a prize at the end of each day. That sounds really cool to me. Yeah, that sounds quite fun, doesn't it? Um, yeah, that does sound pretty cool. I didn't, I didn't read about that bit. Yeah, so you get the the whole Citadel colour range to use, and you get free brushes and I say free included in your ticket, brushes and uh, the model and stuff. So that's 
pretty good. I, you I often see them, don't this. you, all piled around big mountains of sprues on certain open days and things like that. I can imagine it'll be like that. Yeah, but obviously with this being a ticketed event, they can kind of restrict access a little bit then, can't they? Where it's normally, let's face it, a free-for-all of someone sticking all the parts from a Bloodthirster frame onto a base that they can snap off when they get home and build a Bloodthirster. This will be <laughs> yeah. a bit more structured and you've got to build a diorama as part of it. So I'm up for that. That sounds really fun to me um, and I'll, I'll give it a go. And finally, before we leave the news, Games Workshop published their financials yesterday which, if you're not a nerd like me and spent my lunchtime reading games which were financials, may not interest you too much. But there's some interesting tidbits in there, such as they now have a factory dedicated to paint production, which is cool because I think they used to use a third party to produce them. So now that they're creating them themselves, that means they can basically get the paint on the shelves quicker. Um, they bought a load of land near head office for more kind of warehousing space which is exciting and yeah it sounds like they've done pretty well with record profits there's a lot of doomsayers on the internet very selectively interpreting these financials to suggest that games worship haven't done well this year yeah they have it's 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 pretty good at reading so yeah um it's uh it's exciting times and it shows that over the period of lockdown i think a lot of new people got into the hobby yeah definitely uh, that's all very, very, very cool. Um, I think, gentlemen, it's time to talk a bit more, or you two anyway, to talk a little bit more Horace Heresy. So let's grab a brew, take a pause, and come back with some tournament chatter. <laughs> So this last weekend, Jay and Matt both got to attend a Horus Heresy event at Warhammer World. Now, sadly, I was not in attendance. Um, so this is going to be a very quiet section for me. So I'm going to hand the reins over to Matt and Jay, who are going to take us through how the tournament uh, was set up, the armies they took and the games that they played. So, Matt, do you want to take it from here? Yeah. So so uh, I think. I think it was a little bit before the uh, Horus Heresy Open Day at Warhammer World. Tickets went on sale for a Horus Heresy tournament. Now, we kind of assumed that this would be second edition, didn't we, Jay? But, yeah. you know, it was a possibility this could have been our last hurrah for the, the old edition. Uh, either way, we'd have had armies legal for it. Um, but, yeah, it, it, as, as it turned out, it was indeed for, for the second edition of the game. And um, as such, currently... Uh, the only kind of uh, valid armies to take were Astartes ones. Uh, when you bought a ticket, you had to pledge yourself for the the rightful ruler of the galaxy, Horus Lupercal, and, and side with the so-called traitors. Or you could foolishly side with the, the, the false emperor of mankind and pledge yourself for the loyalists. I may be tainting this with my views on the heresy. <laughs> not not biased at all. <laughs> so so yeah, you, you you bought tickets for each individual event, and when we got into the, the kind of the venue, essentially there was there was forty players for each side, half half for the traitors, half for the loyalists, as it should be within the the the, the battle for um for, for terror. And yeah, it was it was really cool. Basically, over the day you took a three thousand point army, and it wasn't a I'd say it wasn't like a match play event, really. It was more of a more of a narrative event, really, wasn't it? You took 3,000 points, you fought over five battles, and there wasn't a price like first, second, third. It was more based on um, whether the traitors won or the loyalists won. But we'll keep that as a surprise until the end of the, uh, the section, were, which, yeah. which side won. There weren't prizes for first, second, third, but there were prizes for 
um, uh, other sort of um, uh, objectives, weren't there? Like um, Last Man Standing, Leave None Alive, Invader and God Slayer. So yeah, it was so much more narrative, much more fun. Ton, it I was. It, there's, no, there's no, no stress on that. We'll quickly touch on those in case the, the, the listeners don't know what they, they were. So Last Man Standing would basically have the most points worth alive at the end of your games, leave none alive, kill as much of your opponent army as you can, invader, uh, number of friendly units within 12 inches of their opponent's board edge, which was a toughie for some armies, and Godslayer, the number of Primarchs killed over the weekend. And I thought they were they were fun, because if you went into a game that was looking a bit tough for you, you could, of course, try and focus on one of them instead, couldn't you? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so I took... Horus Lupercal, the Warmaster himself, and the Sons of Horus. He was uh, he was accompanied by a unit of Justerin. His second in command, Ezekiel and Abaddon, also came to battle, again supported by a Justerin and a land raider Proteus. Uh, he also had Malagus the Twisted, who turned up. Um, mistakenly reading the rules, I thought that he gave a unit line, but only if he's the uh, the warlord. But he looks cool, so he got to come along too. And finally, <laughs> I had Kothis Uximand, my master of signals, whose job is to stay in a drop pod and not disrupt my own um, spearhead strike if he's on the battlefield. So uh, they just strap him into a drop pod and let him come down later on in the battle. Um, he was accompanied by 10 Reavers in a Dreadclaw. We had a squad of 10 tactical marines. We had 10 veterans uh, in a termite. And we had a contemptor. And that rounded up my 3,000 points. Uh, Jay, what did you bring along? So um, I decided to take the no Imperial Fist, of course. Everyone knows I've been paying Imperial Fist for the last half a year. Um, and this was a, uh, a stone gauntlet right of war. So the armor was themed around sort of, I think, most of my infantry models with the exception of Sigismund and Dawn, I guess, and the castle, they all had shields. Um, so leading the army was Rogaldorn himself, the Primarch. Uh, he had a Legion Cataphracti command squad with him, which were great. Um, one of these guys is carrying a standard, um, which makes that unit line. Line's really, really important in uh, the second edition of the Horus Heresy. Um, and it also extends a fearless bubble around the unit as well, which I forgot about until later on in the over the weekend. And... Um, that's a really, really cool um, ability to have because it, it, it can protect you against things like pinning and morale checks and that sort of thing, breaking from combat. Um, my second HQ option was uh, the first captain, Sigismund. Um, and then I had uh, something I think is one of the best Imperial Fist units you can, you can take, actually, is the, is the um, special console option for the Imperial Fists, the Castellan, uh, which is um, he's like a heavy support specialist hq character he comes equipped with a heavy bolter but i upgraded it to an auto cannon um and then what's great about this guy is he makes other heavy support squads in your army line as well so um i had a, a unit of um heavy support um squads with auto cannon in the army who were now lined with the castellan in there so that was great um on the uh the troop side so to fill out the stone gold and right to war you have to take phalanx warders as your compulsory troops choices so i had two units of these these guys are like elite breachers, um, and in the in the Stone Gauntlet Riot War, they're really really cool because they get um, Heart of the Legion, which gives them feel no pain whilst they're near an objective, and um, Line as well. So they're also they're a scoring unit. 
Um, they're equipped with boarding shields, power axes, and bolters. And the boarding shields are fantastic. That it gives them a five plus invulnerable save in shooting and in combat. Um, but the phalanx warders themselves, they have a cool rule that if they're in a sort of special formation with each other, um, they get plus one to their invulnerable saves. So it's a four plus invulnerable save. And the Stone Gauntlet Right of War allows you to re-roll those invulnerable saves for models equipped with boarding shields. So they've got that re-rollable four plus invulnerable save. They were a solid unit all the way through the weekend, two units of these guys. Um, I also had a unit of Templar Brethren, 10 Templar Brethren with their power swords, combat shields, and the Templar Brethren champion had a Solarite power gauntlet, which is like a, a better version of a power fist, really. It's, it's not a specialist weapon in its strength 10. It's brilliant. AP1. Um, they sort of accompanied Sigismund in my um, Land Raider Spartan, the new plastic kit, which is awesome. Um, in the Elite's Choice, just a single Elite's Choice, which is my Legion Contempt of Dreadnought with um, a Volkite dual culverin cannon really really cool weapon doesn't do a lot really because it lacks that ap but it's a nice looking sort of heresy era weapon um i also had two javelins javelin land speeders now these were a bit of a black horse for the ton really they're brilliant really really good so javelins now they're no longer vehicles they've got a toughness value they've got a wounds value and it caught a lot of people off guard people still think they're sort of tough uh, armor 10 vehicles when they're not and it just gives them so much more flexibility they can charge into combat um they're they've got these four wheels you can't you can't just blow them up with a with a bolter shot um they get access to the different reactions because they're not vehicles they're really really cool um and then lastly the last heavy support choice i had was the um the legion arctor uh tank which is like a, a siege bombard tank very imperial fisty um looked great in um bright yellow with black paneling like a big jcb big lump of resin <laughs> it attracts a lot of firepower, really, and, it, and it's not that brilliant. It's a bit unreliable. It's got a big blast template weapon, seven-inch blast template weapon with rending. You can get lucky, and actually in the first game, you'll you'll see I did get lucky, but it has a tendency to run out of ammo quite quickly. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that was my army, and I really, really enjoyed using them as well. Awesome. So for the uh, the event, the, the events team had put together, uh, in coordination with the studio team, a um, kind of bespoke mission pack, which I thought was really cool, Jay. So we had some kind of unique universal rules, such as if at the end of any turn your army's wiped out, you lose, which may crop up in uh, one of the battles coming up later on. (laughs) (laughs) Also, there was some some unique secondary objectives, such as uh, you get a victory point if you kill the first unit. If that is an elite or heavy, you get an additional point. There's a point for Slay the Warlord. If that's a Primark, you get an additional point. And I think there was bonus points for killing Super Heavies as well, but not many people had them. Yeah, um, it was wasn't it? Yeah, so that was really cool. And then for each uh, mission, they had a, a unique bespoke mission on the table. And I've got to say, I actually like these missions more than the um, the rulebook ones. I wonder it, if this is a hint of the kind of stuff we'll see in the narrative supplements going forward. Uh, I agree, Matt. I thought these, I thought they were, I had a few issues with a couple of them, but nothing, nothing too serious. But on the whole, they were great. And it was refreshing to play some games of Warhammer without having, you know, we we talked, didn't we, when we came home on the, on the first day, how sometimes you, you're sort of mentally exhausted from, from, from trying to keep track of all these moving parts when you're playing a game of Age of Sigma or, or a game of Warhammer 40,000 9th edition with secondary objectives and battle um, objectives and battle tactics and all these different things you have to keep track of. 
where this took it right back. It strips it right back. The deployment zones for each mission were just a 12 inch strip along your board edge. You know, in all five missions, they were four turns long. And there was a very, very simple sort of primary scoring mechanic for each mission. But they were still really, really exciting. And I think they encouraged armies to sort of clash quickly and lots yeah. of sort of play and counterplay with the reactions. And then before you knew it, the game was over. And, it, and we came away on that, that Saturday evening. We were like, yeah, I could I could play another two days, three days of these tournaments. Yeah. This tournament. It was so good. So mission one was the Crucible of War. And this was a really fun mission. There was um three objective markers in, in, in no man's land. Um that uh, you know, you alternated playing depending on who was the, the kind of like the person with strategic advantage. Who had strategic advantage, advantage yeah. Yeah, deploying first and the the objectives were dead simple. You got a victory point for each objective marker you control at the end of your turn. Dead easy. So you've got these essentially they've got to be twelve inches away, haven't they? So you've got three down the middle of the board give or take depending on whether people put it near their uh, deployment zone and dead kind of simple objective so i was playing uh, a guy called donald with his space wolves um so this was what I'd, I'd always fancied playing the space wolf because i know i'm a i know i'm a filthy traitor but part of me secretly wants to put together a space wolf army and i've said that to both of you in the past haven't i yeah uh it's 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 part of it. I need to get rid of that. You know, I can't I can't be serving the war master and have uh, urges to stop a space wolf army, can I? Um. So yeah. So this was. Uh, so Donald come over. Um. From Italy, he um. I think he borrowed the space wolf army as well. I think a, a friend had kind of dropped out at the last minute. So. Um, unfortunately for me, it's not only his first game of Heresy, but first game with that army as well. So it took us a little time to get through it. We think we got through two turns. Um, victory went to the Warmaster 4-3. Um, I Majority of my army, Deep Strikes, which is a massive risk, especially in this mission pack, um, in that if I was wiped out turn one, that's it, game over. Um, so I was lucky that when... When that deep strike happens, unless something goes really badly, I can be pretty precision with it, can't I, Jay? Um, but yeah. you've basically got a two-plus chance of the first unit comes down, that might scatter, then everything else can come down within range of that on a two-plus. For a roll of one, my opponent gets to put down my units, and obviously that would be a, a not great deployment. So most of the time, a combination of Horus, Abaddon, and two units are just daring can normally deal with anything set on an objective uh, and that was the case of this one they managed to come down and take the objectives uh, for the win uh, but it was a nice game to to kind of get us warmed up for the day how did your uh, game one go jay um yeah so this was great my first game was against uh, the emperor's children um and um this army had no primarch leading it but Eidolon, it was like a, is it the third company elite, um, Matt? You know, the, the European third company children, elite, yeah. So this, so this represents a period where uh, Fulgrim has retreated to the bridge of his ship. He's actually hidden, he's actually been uh, trapped in a mirror, hasn't he? The demon's taken over his body. And during this period, Eidolon and the um, rest of the Emperor's children kind of go a bit rogue, and there's lots of sex and drugs and rock and roll going on. Yeah, so um, they had their units of uh, cacophony uh, marines, there was Eidolon and um, a champion, uh, lots of assault squads. Um, there were uh, was a Leviathan. I believe there were a couple, two or three maybe. Uh, I think there were three actually, Contemptors, uh, which was sort of a, a sort of theme that was running across a lot of armies, I thought, this weekend. Um, 
and um, lots of apothecaries as well. Um, this game started off with the Empress children doing a lot of damage to the Imperial Fists, who sort of, I was on the back foot to begin with, but then the Imperial Fists sort of got the upper hand and I was a- able to, to claim a victory here. Uh, some of the highlights of this, um, this game were um, Dawn, really. Dawn and his Cataphracty Command Squad. Um, the Imperial Fists have a really cool advanced reaction. So reactions are a new sort of thing for the Horus Heresy. And um, it allows you to um, react to your opponent's uh, movement, your opponent's shooting, and even your opponent's um, charging and things like that in your in, in your opponent's turn. It makes for a much more sort of interactive back and forth play and counterplay kind of game. Really, really interesting. And even though there are only four turns in these games, you almost get eight turns because you're playing in your opponent's turn as well. It's really, 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 really fun. The Imperial Fists have got, each Legion gets like an advanced reaction on top of the core reactions. And the Imperial Fist one's quite cool. It allows you to um, charge a unit uh, that's moved within 10 inches of one of your units. Of course, the Emperor's Children sent their Leviathan barreling down the centre of the board um, and happened to, to move within range of Dawn and his command squad. Um, so I, I thought, you know, the, the, the best form of defence is offence. And, and rather than get charged by a Leviathan Dreadnought, I thought I'd, I would charge into the Leviathan Dreadnought, which was, in the end, a good decision on my heart, uh, part, as uh, Dawn was able to um, dispatch the Leviathan Dreadnought uh, before it, it managed to swing back. Which was, Dawn's, which was Dawn's a dark horse, isn't he? He's, he's gone from kind of a joke for Primark to being a pretty scary Primark to face. He, he did well, yeah. I do like Dawn. He's very, very strong. He's... He, he's um, Weapon skill now is very, very interesting in the Horus Heresy. So the the, the the sort of the chart that you you use to in order to determine whether you're able to hit an opponent and whether that opponent can hit you is all based on comparing weapon skill values. And um, Dawn has weapon skill eight, which is one of the highest in the game. I think it's comparable to Horus himself, actually. It is, yeah. Um, for for a primer. So so he is really really good in close combat. He's very very tanky. He sort of holds the line, as he says in um, in Saturnine, "I am the fortress now." Um, so, yes, that was really, really cool. And another thing in this game, obviously, line, we've said it before, it's very important in Horus Heresy 2. And um, my line is quite resilient and able to sort of hang around for a long period of time in the games. And I was able to capitalise that late in the game by moving line units onto objectives to score them. So you can deny, any unit can be a denial unit. With There are a few exceptions. So I think um, units that have like the Harbingers of the Legion and things like these vehicles, they can't, they can't deny um, but only line units can actually score. Uh, and of course, that's how you win a game of Horus Heresy. So it was, a, it was a great first game. It was very, very close. Only one point in it. Um, so yeah, good point. It's good, 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 good to crush some traitors in my first game. He was, was a really nice guy as well. We'd got chatting outside because I'd actually commented on, um, on one of the Facebook groups on his army because it was very similar, very, very similar to the army I was originally going to bring. Yeah. So it, it, in a way, I'm kind of glad that that faced Jay. Like you, you were on the table next to us, weren't you? I was, yeah. <laughs> so we could sort of watch it, and it was a, it was a really, it was very similar to your army, more dreadnoughts, I think, but it was still good. Um, and it was painted very, very nice as well. All the uh, detailing on there and the, um, the transfers and things were very cool. Lots of apothecaries, uh, which he definitely needed because he had a cacophony squad in the centre of the board that did it murdered my heavy support squad in the first turn. It did so much damage, but then he also like. I think he lost about four or five of his own models as well. So <laughs> I think they get hot on a one or two or something ridiculous like that. So you're likely to as kill as many of your own guys as you are your opponent, but they don't care. They're having a whale of a time. Yeah. So Matt, Battle 2 
was the heart of battle. In this one, there was just a single objective marker in the dead centre of the table. And if you controlled it at the end of your turn, you scored three victory points. So quite a straightforward one, this really. Now, I had a tough matchup on this one. Uh, Mark was my opponent who brought the Ultramarines. And he didn't just bring Ultramarines. He bought an army of Dreadnoughts. Which was glorious. He got one of the best painted nominations and had a nice display board for it with 3D printed trees and even a 3D printed fox. Because he had nice like snowy bases and they all slotted into this. It looked so good. Uh, They battered me. They battered me. I've got my little notes sheet here. um, 15 nil. To the Ultramarines, I think it was. So he scored every single turn. And did, I didn't um, score. Did, 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 did they get the strategic advantage? Did they go first? They did, yeah. They did. Yeah. So so they managed to, to get in and, and like 12 Dreadnoughts hunkered down on that objective is, is pretty scary. And bear in mind, in that right of war, your Contemptors have um, Lion as well. So I had to I had to, to kill him to get him off there, basically. Um, he also solid, yeah. Oh, contemptors are so so strong, and obviously this is he had more, he had three leviathans, two daedros, a HQ contemptor, and then the rest of the army with contemptors. On a lot of these, he had the up uh, I say skyfire, I forget what it's actually called, but the upgrade that lets them get a uh, interceptor, the interceptor shot yeah. and things deep strike in. Now, unfortunately for um, Horus and friends, majority of the army deep striked in. Um, poor. Poor um, Ezekiel. Poor Ezekiel. He he teleported onto the battlefield and all his mates were like instantly vaporized from a barrage of dreadnought fire. He survived, thankfully. Um, for some reason, I don't know why Mark was more scared of uh, Abaddon than Horus, but he wanted to just obliterate that kind of command squad that was around <laughs> him. So so <laughs> once the, uh, the haze of the teleportation had faded, it was just Abaddon standing by himself, surrounded by dreadnoughts, probably thinking, hmm, <laughs> this ain't going to go well. Um, I, I think he put up a good fight. Horus killed two or three dreadnoughts. He, he, was, he was rocking it. Uh, unfortunately, we found out that three is the number of leviathans that punches Horus to death, <laughs> fortunately. Um, so, yeah, I think... I think they were in the centre of the blob, so he was like working his way through them, killing the contemptors, and then yeah, these three leviathans charged him and, and pounded him into the ground. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, brutal. Is it brutal? Brutal is a nasty rule for Bru- killing primates. Brutal free, yeah. So brutal is a new, a cool rule that the, you tend to find on dreadnoughts, but I think I think some of the primarchs have it on their weapons. Well, certainly mm-hmm. Horus has it on his world breaker, and basically for each wound you get through the opponent has to roll a number of saves equal to the brutal value. So a brutal free wound requires the opponent to roll three saves and he'll suffer a wound for each save he fails. So dreadnoughts have this on their gravis power fist and things really, really effective punching through other dreadnoughts, multi-wound models, tanks, and of course, other primarchs. Yeah. So, so while in game one, every single son of Horus survived the battle in game two, I wasn't so lucky, and every single model died a horrific death. But it was a fun <laughs> game against a, a really nice army, a really nice opponent as well. So, uh, yeah, that was really fun. How did you get on in this mission, Jay? Yeah, so this mission, I, I felt, um, was, a, was a nice It was a nice mission, just a single objective in the middle of the board. Uh, it certainly favoured those armies which were more defensive in nature, be that armies full of Contemptor and Leviathan Dreadnoughts with Line, or the Imperial Fist with Dawn. Um, and um, I believe in this mission, 
I was able to steal initiative. I, I'm sure I stole initiative in this mission um, and went first. And I was able to get onto the objective before my opponent. So my opponent was a um, was a member of the Games Workshop staff, actually, Ben. He works in the um, in the um, painting um, um, part of Games Workshop and, and, and is responsible for building and painting up a lot of the dioramas that you find in displays that you find in the Warhammer uh, Museum. Uh, most notably, the, uh, the 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 new Horus Heresy display they've got in there with the Imperial Fist defending the walls against the Sons of Horus. He, he was responsible for putting that together, building it, painting it, converting it. Um, so it was great to chat to this to this guy. He was a really friendly friendly uh, fella, um, and he'd brought along, and this was it was awesome. An Iron Warriors army. I was so happy. Imperial Fist fighting Iron Warriors. It was great. Um, and Ben was a he's a seasoned Horus Heresy player. Basically, that's the main system he plays. And this was just one of his armies. And I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast and we talked about this at Warhammer World as well, that um, big blobs of 20 tactical marines is quite a strong build in a Horus Heresy. You know, mm, you've got all these some of the best units in the game. Yeah, you've got all these fancy, you know, Legion specific elite units and, and armies full of dreadnoughts and things like that. But your, your, your regular tactical squad in units of 20 with line, heart of the Legion, maybe an apothecary nearby. They're solid. Um, and um, his army was based around, I think it, it was almost 60 tactical Marines, um, <laughs> some units of Terminators and Tyrant Terminators. Um, this army again had, I think it had three Contemptor Dreadnoughts and two, how do you pronounce it, Matt? The radio. radios, something like that. Yeah, two of those kind of Dreadnoughts as well. But no Primarch again, so I wasn't able to fight off against Perturabo. Um it was a very, very shooty army. Um, and the Iron Warriors, they seem like a really fun legion, to be fair. But I was able to get my my line units, including Dawn, onto that objective early on. And this is where the sort of reactions and advanced reactions and it, 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 these sort of counterplays and ta- it really comes into its own here. Because Ben was really reluctant to move, to make any kind of push on the center objective because he knew I had my Imperial Fist advanced reaction ready to go. As soon as he moved a unit within 10 inches of me, Dawn was charging or my Contemptor Dreadnought was charging, really sort of throwing a speed bump in any assault or, you know, disrupting any assault he tried to make on the center objective. And I was basically able to, I was taking a lot of damage from, from his, um, from his shooting and the template weapons were, were wreaking havoc on my, um, on my army. And he, he did a lot of damage and actually, I ended up um, finishing this game um, with over uh, ju- just just under 2,000 points of my army remaining. So he took a good third of my army out shooting it. Uh, sorry, sorry. Game two, this was um, over two thirds. I was, I was left with 710 points at the end of the game. So, you know, he killed over 2,000 points worth of Imperial Fist, but he could not get near that middle objective. And um, I was able to secure a win. So, yeah, then go on to game three, which is the final game of Saturday. Uh, we were doing Sudden Strike. Now, we both had different experiences on this mission. Essentially, there were six objective markers, three in each um, deployment zone, wasn't there? Now, oh, sorry, not within the deployment zone, but essentially just outside the deployment they zone. They could be placed anywhere, not in your deployment zone. So I don't know if your game was the same as our game. They were placed sort of just in front of our deployment zone. Yeah. <laughs> um, once you claimed it, you got a victory point, and then the objective marker was removed and you couldn't be scored again. So 
if you had an army with lots of line units, which you did, Jay, both players just moved up, scored three points, and then it was really down to the secondaries to decide it. Now, my game was against uh, a guy called Ellis with his Blood Angels, which was brilliant because he brought Sanguinius with him. And we all know Sanguinius and Horus have had a bit of a showdown, haven't they? We had to make that happen. And and this was a really fun game. Majority of his army was deep striking in. Majority of my army was deep striking in. We both had like one line unit on the table at a time. So we could only take one objective each turn until our reinforcements came. And I think that made the battle really, really fun because we were kind of like, essentially it was our deep striking units fighting over the remaining objectives. Um, it fi- he managed to get the killer first unit, which gave him a, a point advantage. So it came down eventually to, um, to to win the game. Horus had to kill Sanguinius, as it should be. Uh, unfortunately, the Warmaster fluffed all his attacks, and the pesky winged Primarch managed to survive to to fight another day. I assume that the uh, the teleportarium on a vengeful spirit teleported Horus out of the battle a moment before Worldbreaker smashed the head open of uh, Sanguinius. <laughs> and uh, he maybe had a nervous moment when he thought this was going to be his end. Alas, Horus fluffed his attacks and didn't, and didn't kill him. So victory went to Ellis 4-3. But yeah, we had a really fun game with this one. And I think it was because we were only taking one objective a turn each. Now, you had the exact opposite of this, didn't you, Jay? Yeah, so this was one of the weaker missions we did. Um, I, I think it's redeemable, and I think with a few tweaks, it could be it could be a great mission as well. Um, but yeah, I I played a chap called Matt who was uh, leading the Sons of Horus into battle again. No Primarch. Um, this was, um, but yeah, it, it played out just like you said. So we we each deployed our three objectives. And in the first turn, all three objectives have been scored. So at that point, then, there's, there was no other way to score any points beyond those secondary, such as um, killing a warlord, first blood. Um, Matt was able to get first blood. He was the first one to destroy a unit. And basically, that secured him the win. Um, it was still a good game. We still got to roll dice against each other. There were still some memorable combats and fights between different units. There was counterplay with the reactions. Really enjoyed the game. It, it was just a bit, well, you know, it was a bit predetermined. As soon as Matt had scored first blood, we, we could see, well, this is just going to end with a, a one up, one up to you. Um, but it was still a fun game. And um, yeah, this was this was the the first of many Sons of Horus armies I played over the course of the weekend. See, I think this this scenario could easily be fixed in that if you've got the objective, you score a point. If you burn it, you score two and then it's removed, but you can only burn once per turn. Yes. And then that gives you the the gambling element that you see in very similar Age of Sigmar missions where there's pros and cons to burning the objective. Yes. So, like I say, minor, minor tweaks to it. I think it's salvageable. I think the the fact that we, in our game, we could only burn one each made it really, really fun and had an amazing game against Ellis. He had such a nicely painted army and, again, deep striking all over the place. It was it was carnage which is the, yeah, the best way to go. So, yeah, so at the end of day one, we drove back on a Horus Heresy high, didn't we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and came back bright and breezy the next day for game four, which was take and hold. So on this one, there was an objective in each person's deployment zone. If you held one objective, you got a victory point. If you held them both, you had four victory points. 
So basically, you want to try and get on theirs and yours to pretty much secure you the win. Now, I was I was fighting a young whippersnapper called Jason with his imperial fists. Oh, what a coincidence, Jay. So uh, they, with it not being a kind of like a match play event, a bit more narrative, I think they just randomised the rounds. So uh, round four, Mark walks up to me with his uh, contemporary uh, ultramarines. He's like, oh, I really don't want to beat you again. Um, so he spoke to Ed and he's like, yeah, just just um, find another loyalist who wouldn't mind swapping. I was like, I know just the guy. So uh, you, you swapped with Mark, didn't you, Jay? And uh, we could have the, the, the long heralded showdown Spruce versus Bruce. Spruce versus Bruce. Imperial Fists versus Sons of Horus. Dawn versus Horus. And this was a really, really fun game as well. Now, afterwards, we realised that I think game two, I should have actually auto lost it. But we had a great time anyway, didn't yeah. we? <laughs> Horus um, didn't get that memo. <laughs> no, so, so, so Horus obviously slept in late that day because turn two, um, it didn't come down. Nothing came down. I didn't have a lot left on the table and I was like, Horus, you're up in the vengeful spirit. Do you want to come down and smack some face? Because I had like a start with like 11 guys and a tank on the table. Um, and in hindsight, maybe for for that mission pack, I don't think Deep Strike and everything was the right choice. And by game five, I, I had more stuff on the table. Uh, but it looks cool, doesn't it? It looks cool. And we had some epic battles there. Um, there was very much... Um, kind of head of the spear taking the head off the snake sons of horus tactics with pretty much my entire army opening up on dawn's command squad before um horus uh, and the uh, just and teleported in and immediately start charging him it was so cool meanwhile the uh, abaddon and his bodyguard were trying to deal with the unit that were holding the kind of like line objective marker that you had to try and take that back. Uh, there were some sneaky shenanigans going on with a veteran squad popping up in a termite to literally shoot Dawn in the back. Uh, unfortunately, you used your um, your Imperial Fists um, ability to, to charge a contemptor into them, which pretty much held them up for the rest of the game then, didn't it? Yeah, they were sort of just there. Uh, well, yeah, they were just, the contemptor would just squat into a free Marines a turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the guy with the with the thunder hammer was just like slowly chipping away. I think you can yeah. make all your saves. I, I actually think did the contempt. Yeah, I think it. I was making my refractor saves for it. Yeah, but it was. So fun. we had an epic battle between Horus and Dawn. Sadly, Dawn fell, but uh, Horus only just got away with his life, didn't he? I think you took him down to one wound oh, before well, the... it was it was epic. So yeah, so you did a great job of thinning out the um, the command squad that were accompanying Dawn to let. Horus and his Justerian uh, guard charge through. Uh, the Justerian quickly dispatched the um, the Imperial Fist command squad, which surprised me because they were rocking a three plus invulnerable save, but I don't think I, I passed many of them. So they were quick. So then Dawn was left outnumbered. Then the new rules that when you're fighting in a challenge is if there's no other model in the in the in the combat to allocate attacks to, you're able to attack the guy that's in the challenge. So the Justerian were sort of like battering Dawn in the back while Dawn was trying to parry off Horus. Um, Whilst this was happening, Sigismund and his Templar brethren were, were, were valiantly trying to trying to batter their way through um, Abaddon and his squad of just daring to reach Dawn and you know protect their father. I got some really really cool pictures of this sort of this like mealy scrum going on in the in the middle. Unfortunately, Horus was able to to, to take Dawn down. 
Um, uh, and then I think it was the, 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 my next turn, Sigismund was able to charge into charge into to Horus. Um, and uh, of course, Sigismund has to issue challenges because that's what Sigismund does. And I think the game ended with, with Sigismund and Horus sort of fighting off against each other. And yeah. I think they both had one or two wounds left each. It was it was awesome, so cool. There was it, it, there were so many moments in that game that felt like a black library, but didn't they? With you know, with Sigismund just seeing his father fighting Horus in the background, and then clashing swords with Abaddon. It was ace, wasn't it? It was so fun. So that was. 5-4 but technically I think it should have been a victory to you because the army was wiped out That I, I'd have rather that um, rule on the yeah, just get wiped out if you've got nothing on the table was in the um, event pack because that might have influenced some of the op- uh, unit options but it was still really fun and equally I could have just deployed some of the stuff on the board to stop me getting that auto loss I think it yeah, is it is good to have something as insurance against a pure like everything drop strike army because that could be a little bit too powerful especially say if it was I don't know, fully dreadnoughts in drop pods or something that'd be fairly horrific wouldn't it hitting your turn two or turn three so at least and gives I mean, the opponent some way of winning before that drops into you yeah and, and I, I think you know as powerful as the souls of horror sort of deep strike um a, a sort of tactic is the imperial fist do a good job i think of sort of weathering that storm with their phalanx wardens re-rolling four plus invulnerable saves and and Dawn himself and whatnot, but against other armies, you would have gone gone through them like a hot knife through butter. I oh think. yeah, yeah, exactly. It was um, at this point I I went up to the um the Ed and 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 said I don't want to play another person called Matt who controls the Sons of Horus army, please, because that was <laughs> that was two losses <laughs> against two Matts and two Sons of Horus armies. Yeah, well, Sons of Horus, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so that brings us to game five. Now this was strike and fade. And I forget what this one was. Oh, yeah. So there's a single objective marker that was deployed um, by the player with strategic advance. And basically, you could you could score it, and then it would scatter 2d6 inches, which is quite nice. It was moving around. Now, the only thing with this one, because the person with strategic ad- in, uh, uh, initiative advantage could place that objective, generally they'd place it just in front of their deployment zone. And even though it scattered once, it was probably going to be their half of the table. I think on this one, with there only been one objective, I think I'd preferred the other player to be able to drop it. Yeah. Or it starts off dead centre and it just scatters randomly from there. Yeah, I, I think it needs tweaking a bit. In this one, certainly my opponent was disadvantaged for all four turns. He was properly disadvantaged by the placement of the objective in the directions it's scattered. Whether an additional objective that's scattering, whether you reduce the distance it scatters and set the objective off in the middle... Or if you give the person who doesn't have strategic advantage the opportunity to place the uh, the objective. I also think that this this sort of mission was maybe didn't interact very well with the deployment. Um, and maybe if it was a more of a sort of diagonal deployment or something like that, maybe the scattering yeah. wouldn't have been so bad. Um, we had a great game of Warhammer, despite the fact that my opponent never really had a shot at the objective. Yeah, I mean, similar. I was playing Ben with his Ultramarines, and for the entire game, that objective was in or skirting around his objective. Obviously, with the army that I've got, I can get to his side of the board very quickly, but a unit of Reavers ain't going to last too long against an entire uh, Ultramarines kind of uh, gun line. So I managed to claim it. Uh, in fact, no, I didn't manage to claim it. 12-0, apparently. Um, so I managed to challenge it, maybe. I managed to contest it a turn then 
But um, unfortunately, the sons of Horus uh, fell to the gunfight. And Horus, after having a blinder against Dawn and getting my first and only Primark kill of the weekend, he um, he must have been like, like checking his Facebook or something during this game. So he gets shot by a, is it a glaive? I can't remember what it was. A massive Space Marine super heavy with a massive gun on the top of it. That bounced off his armour. He didn't oh. care. Ten, ten tacticals with bolters. Oh yeah, they can kill Horus. So he, <laughs> he's making these these invulnerable saves against the big guns, and then fails his two plus armor save against bolter fire. A uh, a, a disappointing way for the Warmaster to fall. Uh, Abaddon, on the other hand, had a great time. He was charging through dreadnoughts. He was killing stuff left, right, and center. He was having a whale of a time. Uh, but unfortunately, by the time the kind of like uh, cavalry had come. To, to get to that objective it was just it was just getting too close to his his line so i couldn't really break through to take it myself um how about you jay how did you get on yeah so my last game was um against rob uh who was also uh, leading the sons of horus into battle again um this was led by a bad and no horus here though um this army um uh, was another uh, we were looking actually to play against um a couple of guys who had the painting nomination so this this army was also in the cabinets at the front they got a painting nomination really really nice sort of battle damage sons of horus army um did he win Rob, jay uh, uh, sons of horus player or the white scars won uh maybe it was white scars it was he was definitely in the top three anyway yeah he was i think he came second yeah and it was a lovely army and he he was a massive Sons of Horus fan. I was speaking to him about his army. He's got like seven or eight thousand points of the Sons of Horus at home. Um, nice. He can never bring himself to start a new legion because he just adds more units to this legion. And he's hoping to come back in November with a loyalist Sons of Horus army led by uh, Garvia Loken, which will be amazing. We'll um, have more on that shortly. But yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. Um, so um, he was using a different right of war. Uh, it was one that let them um, basically sped up a lot of his armies. A lot of his army had plus one. Uh, yeah, the, the long march basically gives him lots of movement shenanigans. Yeah, um, which was which was good for him because it, it meant you know he could try and get to my side of the board quite quickly. Um, unfortunately for him, the objective sort of scattered around my deployment area and and pretty much around where Dawn was standing. And, you know, if there's any any unit in my army that can hold an objective, it, it is Dawn in his command squad. And that's exactly what he did. Um, and then uh, he, he again had some had a lot of reserve units, outflanking units. And I was able to really use my um, heavy support squad with the auto cannons to um, intercept. They really showed their worth in this game. Um, they were really good with their rending um, shots at, at stripping wounds off things like land raiders. Um, so, uh, and this just goes to show what kind of a different game Horus Heresy is now. Mm. My heavy support squad actually did more damage to my opponent in my opponent's turns than it did in my turn. Uh, there was one moment in the game where he ran two saber tanks out. Uh, they were both equipped with auto cannons, and they shot into the heavy support squad. So I declared my reaction return fire, and my heavy support squad wiped out both saber tanks um you know they get they get 21 shots with the castellan he gets the extra shot strength seven ap4 rending six plus shots off and like i say they were stripping three wounds off a land raider each time they fired at it really they, they were the unit of the match really um yeah so this was a victory to the imperial fist and it was 
purely down to the fact that he just wasn't able to wrestle command control of that uh, objective off of me. And of course, I think this one as well, you scored more points um, depending on which turn it was that you held it. So there is potentially a route in for the opponent to to come in turn four and claim four victory points for, for capturing in that turn. Um, but obviously it, 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 it depends whether the objective scatters towards them or not. Um, but independent of all, it was still a great game at Warhammer. We had a really, really good good game. Yeah, and you know what? I think that's done for the whole event. I had five really, really fun games, yeah. and we both came away just immediately wanting to play another game of Horus Heresy, didn't we? Definitely, yeah. So, and and yeah, and on that, um, a bit of a a bit of a surprise during the day. So, so, when the tickets went on sale, there was a little bit of disappointment from some people who had existing Horus Heresy armies for, um, you know, demons, um, sort of auxilia, uh, custodies, you know, all the factions that don't currently have black box um, and the and the, the, the Warhammer World event team. So that anyone who did want to come play one of those forces could bring Space Marines and get a free ticket to the next event. Well, it looks like they actually extended this out to every single person who came to this event was offered a free ticket for the event in November, what? which just blew That's me away. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 announced this during the second day, I think, and then while you were handing in your results for game four, you went up to the front and you pledged yourself to the loyalists of the traitors and you got a ticket for the next event. Wow. And amazing. It, it, yeah, and it sounds like they're, they're really um, uh, planning a lot of things for this second event in November, you know, taking on board all the feedback from this event. Um, changing the way they're they're running the, the the scoring and things like that it sounds really really exciting i i thought the the team did a cracking job of of running the event i, I really liked how they were calling out um oh the, the heretics have taken the lead we've had a few results in the, the loyalists have clung back and i thought it was awesome sort of that rivalry they were building up between the loyalist and the uh, traitor factions yeah uh, and of course the the reward ceremony at the end it was really really cool i felt everyone yeah. was sort of in the spirit of that Sort of it was everyone is because I think I was chatting with Ed at, at one point and there is the potential of people taking like cheesy armies that aren't really in the spirit of thing. But I think you're saying like, on whole ground around the kind of uh, event hall, everyone was into the kind of like heresy is about for narrative games rather than trying to win it at all costs. Yeah. And I think the way they built the event really kind of supported that because it took the edge off feeling you, yeah you're only having fun if you won, didn't it? It was more about you're helping your side win. And speaking of which, the flipping traitor, the flipping loyalists won, didn't they? Oh yeah! Outrageous victory to the loyalists. I like I like to think it was the fact that I finally, finally managed to beat the Sons of Horus in game five that tipped it in the. In That's the, it. There the might have been one. The there might have been one game in it, Jay, and that might have tipped <laughs> it over for the the loyalists winning. So I think it's thanks to Dawn. But yeah, so so yeah, so November twenty second, twenty third. I want to say but don't quote me on that I think it was a 19th, um, 20th. I, exactly don't listen to what i say <laughs> so um yeah i, I that's, that's just the horus giving you tough information so all the loyalists is, turn up late it is <laughs> so um i pledged traitor because um hopefully by then some more of the black box are out we know that the uh, um we've got on the heresy release schedule that they shared on warcom we've got the mechanicum book coming up at some point in the next couple of months and then after that, we've got the Imperium book, which presumably contains the Custodies rules. Um, and then hopefully we have PDFs then for the other ones that haven't quite got their black box yet. Uh, with Cabanda out now, 
it wouldn't surprise me if the demon rules aren't too far off. So what I'm going to do is paint up my demons, um, paint up Cabanda, have him good to go. I've got like thousands of points of demons. So when that list does drop, I'll be able to build a list out of that, which will be fun. And it gives me an excuse to use my demons as a big, massive force of scariness. Now, part of me is 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 toying with a with a dark mechanicum force or even a titan legion force um but obviously with the we don't know when the, the mechanicum books out yet so i think i'll play it safe and uh go with the demons because i've got a lot of demons painted where i have to essentially buy an entire mechanicum army which isn't a problem but there's a lot of stuff to paint in the next couple of months so maybe mechanicum for the one after this november one uh jay you already said you're looking at using custodies aren't you yeah i'd love to be able to le- use legio custodies um but we'll see but i mean I, I, to be fair i i really enjoyed using the imperial fist they're a great fun to use so i wouldn't hesitate to take the imperial fist get down again and i'm really hoping dave and andy can get down as well because it was it, it was great i mean we'd we'd played two games against each other Matt, at warhammer world mm. and prior to that we hadn't played horus Hoshi for a very very uh, long time yeah i've had a bit of an advantage obviously because we'd, we'd managed to read the rules and the yeah the leave volumes a little bit earlier ahead of some people haven't we yeah, but, it, but it, was, um, it was great to play. I mean, I played three different armies. I played the Emperor's Children, the Iron Warriors, and the Sons of Horus. It was great to play three different factions, five different armies. Um, it was like a crash course in Horus Heresy. Yeah, and that's the exciting thing about the November event. There's going to be a lot more uh, factions as well. So people's lists were maybe geared around facing uh, Space Marines, but when you've got hundreds of Solar Exilia you're going to bring different types of weapons, aren't you? You're yeah. facing demons. There might be different tools that you can take. There might be things in those lists that are really good against contemptors, for example. I think the game's going to be... I assume it will have been balanced in all those factions, so we might see a bit of rock, paper, scissors that really changes kind of list construction, which is fun. Uh, a couple other shout-outs before we finish this section. Um, they had the Dark Angels character that I forget the name of. Uh, Marduk Sedress. Marduk Sedress. That was available for early purchase, as was Lucius. Um, I, I've got an um, Empress Children army, so I had to pick up Lucius. I have filmed an unboxing. Uh, I want to get him built and painted up, film the outro with that model, and hopefully over the next week or two. I'm aiming for a week on Saturday for that video to come out. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned to YouTube for that one. And finally, once again, all Warhammer Plus subscribers got a free pack of dice. Oh, yeah, I forgot about the, that. Um, yeah. The War Zone Octarius Green Critical Mass Dice. So they're, what, £24? I yeah. thought that was a pretty good freebie. Nice. It's cool. Yeah, you just go you, you go up to the front with your uh, with your signing to your Warhammer um, Plus account, and you get get your freebie. That's ace. It's just it, I don't know. It just adds something done to go going to Warhammer World to an event, getting a bit of a, uh, a souvenir to take back with you. So yeah, I mean, so we 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 finished the event pretty well, didn't we? We paid seventy pound for a ticket, came away with a seventy pound ticket for the next event, and a pack of dice worth twenty four quid. I think we're up there, Jay. Yeah, yeah. And more importantly, we came away with a, a certificate, victory to the loyalist Astartes. Oh no, you never got one, did you, Matt? Because the traitors. <laughs> I remember now. The traitors <laughs> will get their revenge <laughs> in November, and as ever, we will cover it here. But yeah, massive thanks to the um, event team for hosting. It was an awesome event. Excellent. Um, that all made me incredibly jealous. Uh, because I played no Warhammer over the weekend, never mind a whole tournament. And I tell you what, I'm looking at my Dark Angels uh, on the shelf next to me. I'm like, yeah, I've got to get you guys painted. Um, yeah, 
Can't wait. Uh, excellent. Um, I think we shall let Matt and Jay have a bit of a break from that chat. Uh, but when we come back, we do have this week's top three. So keep listening. We are getting towards the later part of this week's podcast, but we do, of course, have first our top three. Uh, our top three is going to be focusing on war bands we'd like to see in the latest edition of Warcry with Heart of Gert now being on pre-order. So quite an open one. Um, there's lots we can go through here. Um, and just before we started recording, Matt threw my schedule of which order we're going to go in uh, in the air. So I'm going to go first uh, with my top three. My third choice, um, this really ties in with the latest uh, latest revealed Warhammer Underworlds warband, and that is I'd like to see a Warcry warband of Witch Hunters. Um, it, now, it might look quite similar to the Underworlds one, but I don't think that's no bad thing. I, I'd, you know, more Witch Hunter models, please. They look ace. Um, if not completely Witch Hunters, maybe, maybe you could turn it into more Cities of Sigmar, but I don't think... That really works. I think witch hunters with like lots of torches and stuff would work when they're kind of mulching through Gur, uh, through all these like creepy forests and stuff. Um, so that's my third choice, the witch hunters. My second po- choice seems like a bit of a no-brainer to me because this is what these guys do, and that's the cruel boys. Um, boys. Yeah. Well, I'm imagining like Gur being quite swampy especially like these big creepy trees and all like the um the the, the walkways and stuff and bones and things oryx definitely fit and and what what kind of oryx fits even better than that is is the cruel boys the new cruel boys um i think they could be a really dynamic warband uh, and i would definitely pick those up um if they were to get uh, a release however my heart at the moment is only resting on one faction and I think this would be the perfect opportunity to bring back uh, or to redo a plastic kit for the Skaven. Now, I'm not fussy, but I think the two that would fit the best are um, sort of uh, uh, Eshin uh, assassins, maybe Night Runners um, as a new kit for Warcry, or um, maybe something a bit creepier, like maybe Rat Ogres and Master Mulder, um, Clan Mulder related um, Warband uh, would be really, really cool. But either way, I think this would be a great way of um, slowly moving the Skaven range into new plastics, which is what they desperately need, because some of their old stuff is... For example, I-, I like the rules for the Night Runners and all the Eshin troops, but those models... They're awful. They look more like little monkeys than rats. Um, <laughs> they really, ones, Dave. Yeah, they, they they really need updating. So my number one choice absolutely is uh, a Skaven Warcry Warband. Uh, Jay, Jay, what would be your um, top three? So my top three, the first Warband I would like to see um, is um, some more Kenoffi models. So... We've, we've we've had Kenoffi in um, Underworlds. Uh, we've had a single Kenoffi exile in Curse City, who looks quite different than the Kenoffi in Underworlds. Um, obviously, the Underworlds one are almost like half animal, half elf, whereas the exile is, is full elf. Um, and it will be interesting to see whether the Kenoffi from Gear um, look any different than, than the Kenoffi we've already seen. But certainly, mm. sort of a Waywatcher type, wood elfy. Warband would be really cool. 
that'd fit really well for Warcry as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, currently, up until now, Warcry is focused on Chaos Warbands, but in some instances, although they're Chaos Warbands, in some, they, they don't know they're worshipping Chaos. Some of them don't, you know. Some of them just look like tribesfolk or, or, or things like that. And I think the Wood Elves have always been a bit, are they good guys, are they bad guys? You know, they're quite mischievous and capricious. And I, I think a Kenofi Warband would, would fit into that. You know, they're not they're not quite the the shining armor paladins, good guys like the Stormcast. There, there is a bit of a a bit of a nastiness to the Wood Elves, a cruelty to them. And I think the Kenofi will fit in well in uh, in Warcry. Yeah, and you know what? We're fighting in the jungles of Gur, aren't we? So that's a new twist, isn't it? Jungle elves rather than wood elves. Yeah, ah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it could be cool. Um, my second option, and I think actually this is ties into the fact that I've really enjoyed painting up the Ironhead Prospector squats for <laughs> um, Necromunda, and I could really see like a a, a, a small um, mining clan of dwarfs you know adventuring out into the wildlands of gear you know with pickaxes you know your proper dwarfs like a little dwarden um expedition almost so not fire slayers not not carriage on dispossessed. dispossessed you know an iron breaker leading them a couple of rangers at the front um some miners in the background maybe maybe a pony pulling some mining equipment that kind of thing um yeah i think that'd be pretty cool and and the, the dispossessed, you know, we, we've had rumours of um, Grungni reappearing and, and things like this, and I, I think there's I think there's room for your traditional sort of Ironbreaker style dwarf in Age of Sigmar. Yeah, I, I've got I've got some input here. So one one of my favourite dwarf units from the world that was was the miners, especially I think they got new plastic miners right at the end of did, yeah. fantasy, um, and they're one of those units that never made it to Sigma, which was a real shame. Um, I would like to point out one thing though, Jay, an iron breaker in the heart of Gur surely it'd rust. No, Granrill doesn't rust, Dave. <laughs> not like not like your flimsy man steel. <laughs> Your steel doesn't rust, does it? It's iron that rusts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, what does what does what does Stormcast make their armor of? Uh, Sigmarite. Sigmarite. Does that rust? I, I, I assume not. I assume not. They probably give yeah. it a good varnish or something. The lightning beforehand. keeps the rust off. Yeah. Um, the last warband I'd like to see, and this is like it's almost like a twofer or, or a special number one choice. So we're in gear, right? We're in the jungles, the wildlands of Gear. I would like to see a warband made up of just beasts, the inhabitants of Gear. So not aligned, not not Stormcast, you know, not Luminef, not a faction that's currently got an army or a battle tome for each other. Just the beasts of Gear. Um, oh, that's interesting, Jane. That's interesting. In the first edition of Warcry, we had unaligned beasts that you could take, the Raptorixes and the Furies, yeah. who could be taken by any warband. Now, in the recent Thondia book. There's a beast diary uh, written by a dwarf explorer that details various creatures that are seen in Gur that we haven't actually ever seen models for. Terrapins, who are giant evil turtles, um, and all sorts of weird and wacky creatures and stuff. That'd work really well, Jay. Yeah, uh, and it obviously gives those people who don't want to sort of sell the soul to chaos, an army to collect, a, a warband to collect. But I also think this would give Games Workshop an opportunity to introduce um, some supplementary rules for Warcry that would allow you to play it as a solo player against such a, a band of um, creatures. You know, you can level up your warband mm. as they fight these inhabitants of gear 
Um, but they are also a playable warband in their own in their own um, in their own way as well. So yeah, that's, really my, cool. that's my number one choice. Excellent choice, there, Jay. Uh, that just leaves uh, yourself, Matt. What what would be uh, appearing in your top three? Okay, well, my number three choice. We we learn on the um, the Warhammer TV live stream that there's a crashed Seraphon ship in the in the heart of Gur. So what better opportunity is there to to refresh the Seraphon range? By having a, a new Seraphon warband, I've, I've used the term Seraphon protectors, being the specifically the Seraphon who are guarding the ship. So new Saurus warriors, a new Croxagore maybe as a as an additional uh, monster you can take, because those old Saurus are so so old. And yeah. what you could do is throw in some fun stuff like uh, Skinks mounted on um, on I forget what they call it, cold ones. Uh, which yes. used to have models back in the Lustria expansion. I don't think they've existed since, but that's the kind of fun stuff you can throw into Warcry. And I think if they did that, a lot of people would probably buy them to make a Seraphon army to replace some of the older models. Yeah. So I think that'd be really cool. For number two, I put the Dawnbringer Crusades. We know the Dawnbringer Crusades are traveling through the mortal realms and they are accompanied by a kind of militant part, some of which may have elements of the witch hunters and and the like that Dave mentioned earlier, could we get the first glimpse of the Dawnbringer Crusades, who we know are coming in the future, in Warcry, a nice introduction ahead of the main wave release. I think that'd be pretty fun. And finally, the the Ogres have got a lot of plastic kits now, but there's one kit in particular that hasn't been updated to plastic that I think would make an amazing Warcry warband, the Maneaters. Yeah, you this think is about close. the Ogrins. The Ogrins in Necromunda, you could get a box of six, which made a warband, and you had the nice, distinct Ogrins. You could make a Manita box that has rules in AOS, but would be an interesting low model count warband for um, Warcry as well, with all cool, you know, you've got um, Rambo style Ogrin. You've got Tarzan-style Ogren, all styled after the kind of uh, Gur environment they're in. They could do some really fun stuff. They could even do some nods to some of the other warbands and have man-eaters dressed as them. Yeah, th- this was close to making my list, to be honest, because um, I really like the current man, um, man-eaters. But yeah, they do they do really need a plastic kit, and I could see this being the perfect way to do that. Yeah, so I, I think that'd be really fun. Now, my, my original number one, which I took out because I thought Dave would have it, and it actually worked out quite well because he did have it. Um, the Night Runners were a kit for Mordheim, which was a game much like Necromunda many moons ago, where you created a warband and kind of fought for glory, much like uh, Warcry is now. And I completely agree. The best way of reinventing that kit is make it as a keep it as Night Runners. But they've got different weapon options, like they have done with the Kill Team Warbands for 40k, um, because I think they'd operate really, really well. And even if you have some, like, sculpted leaves and stuff that they're stalking through, uh, I think they'd be amazing. Yeah, 100% agree. And the, the cool rules in um, the new book as well. So, yeah, definitely would like to see a new kit for those at some point. So, of course, they are our top threes, but we do have the community choices They're going to finish off this week's episode and they're coming up next. So before we finish this week's episode, we, of course, 
need to read out some of the community top three picks. And as always, you folks have not let us down as you've sent in lots and lots of comments. So thank you again. And we're going to read out as many as we can right now. Starting over on Facebook, Dylan has gone for the Ogres as his third option. Wanderers as his second and Cities of Sigma as his top choice. Brian Dennis simply has gone for Soul Blight for all three. So I think he's a big fan of the old vampires. Also, welcome back, Brian. I don't think you've been uh, putting your top threes on the last couple of weeks. So it's great to see you back. Uh, Josh Upton, um, well, he's gone for quite a bit of text here. So he's put, so we've seen different Chaos Weirdos from the different realms. I'd like to see the same for the other Grand Alliances, especially if they include races that wouldn't normally appear in those realms. Example, a Tree Revenant from the Realm of Fire, a Nighthorn from the Realm of Life, a Trogger from the Realm of Light. The possibilities are endless. It was hard for me to pin down a specific top three this time round. I like his thinking. I like um, that thinking because this is yeah. it. Yeah, I, I like the kind of unorthodox, unusual units in a realm that you wouldn't normally associate them with. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and Gary uh, simply put Fire Slayers. So uh, good shout. Gary, um, what do we have over on Twitter, Matt? So Anonymous Rex says that uh, Kernoff, either Wood Elves or his human worshippers that'd be cool the dark harvest audiobook is be interesting what they can do with his followers and how grim and nasty they can be i think anonymous rex might be onto something here in the same way that the chaos warbands are just essentially normal people who worship that god but don't know it's a chaos god could we see human followers of the the order gods for example mm. like what would a, a human tribe that worships gorkamorka look like that's some fun stuff they could do um, Cities of Sigma mercenaries and Caradron shipless prospectors. Uh, Lardy Dar says gut rot spumes, Nurgle pirates. I'm all over that. Uh, Saurus hunting pack brackets, clever girl. And Kernothy. Jim Jackson says the witch hunter warband, an ogroid warband, maybe some who refuse to join chaos. I love those ogroid models, so yeah, I'm all over that. And vampire coasts warband. Yes. Give me those pirate vampires. <laughs> Hannah says, Skaven, Eshen Warband, sent to recover lizard trinkets. The Order of Azir, sent to destroy the lizard trinkets. Or a vampirate warband, sent to plunder the lizard trinkets. Yeah, Hannah, I'm all over those. Deep Water, Night Goblin, Fungus Hunters, with a sniffler squig. Ooh, that, I like that. That's a good yeah. idea. Living <laughs> City, Mixed Warband, lots of single-figure potential. And jungle grots with snotlings. Yes. Um, Pillar says, Skaven, Moulder, Weirdstone Hunters, Bretonian-esque knights looking for the Lady of the Lake, and Fermir. It's about time they came back. Oh, the Fermir. I love those guys. Yeah. Uh, Nevermore says, obviously the Seraphon, but hopefully a Saurus warband to fit Gurr. I, I mean, we've chatted about this before. It seems the obvious time for a new Saurus warband, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, ivory host Ossiarch Bone Reapers and Spider Rider Grots because the models deserve an update. Again, they could be a good one to do for this. Um, JP Riley says Corn Demons with a Big Dog, uh, Questing Bretonian Knights and Tomb Kings. Took my hobby friend to a GW store and he complained about the lack of Tomb Kings. Uh, Sean Gilt says Fermir, some form of pirates and dwarf explorers. That'd be cool. Alpharius, the Primarch, presumably, says Kernothi Sylvaneth, Ruination Stormcast, and Null Myriad Ossiarch Bone Reapers, and finally Engra. 
says Vampire Coast, Chaos Dwarves, and a Bretonian-inspired human kingdom. They're all really, really good shouts, aren't they? Yeah, they really, really are. Um, and you know what gets me really excited is um, the other locations that Warcry are going to go to and what kind of warbands we'll see theme for those. Because, um, you know, I'm hearing quite a few pirate suggestions. I could imagine them doing like a Warcry, um, I don't know, like a like kind of some kind of foggy kind of misty um riverbank or something um i don't know maybe a slightly changing changing you mean, location you mean, you, mean, you mean like the city formerly known as Anvilgard that is in Gur and is a sp- spooky foggy place with pirates exactly that yeah exactly in Gur, just down the road just down I think the pirates road are a good shout get your uh, sat navs out it's uh it's, it's within driving distance um i don't know where i was going with that um th- thank you for all your top threes as always uh and i have to ask the question matt what would next week's top three be so this is an oldie but you know we're nearing episode 200 so we'll recycle all the old top threes in this last stretch i want to know the top three models you are most proud of from a painting or converting point of view excellent you can get your choices in early use now social media channels or as always we will be popping a tweet and a facebook post up um just before recording on the sunday or monday of next week uh, where you'll be able to reply with your top freeze and we'll read out as many as we can on next week's show um so yeah that should be um should be quite a fun one because should i think be. it has been a little while since we've done the last one and i think i for one have painted a couple of models since then that i'm i'm really pleased with um, yeah i've got a feeling we did it on the run-up to episode 100 i think we had duncan Rhodes on the show when we did it last time so yeah it's been a while hasn't it yeah it has so also also anyone anyone who wants to uh send us any audio clips of your top sprue and brew uh, just email us over to sprucebrews at gmail.com and uh, yeah we'd love to get as many as we can for episode 200 excellent stuff um, i think that brings us to the end of this week's episode guys unfortunately uh, we will be back again next week hopefully as a full team unless andy's getting in some more overtime uh, <laughs> we will have to see uh, but thanks again for all your support and for listening to um, to this week's episode uh, have a great week of hobby and we'll speak to you all again very soon bye Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Spruce and Brews podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruceandbrews.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruceandbrews or head over to facebook.com forward slash spruceandbrews.